Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. And we're back at CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. Now, I want to open today's show with an interview that we didn't have time to get to last week, but it's totally connected to the subject of military veterans and domestic violent extremism. Now, as controversial as the topic even sounds, so was a recent report that was published by the majority staff, Democrats, of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs. Their report was titled, The Importance of Peer Support in Preventing Domestic Violent Extremism. Just a quick glance at this report, and one of the quotes that jumps out is, Evidence suggests that individuals with military backgrounds have become increasingly involved with violent extremist plots and attacks in recent years. And there's a cute little graphic box there that they make bigger than anything on the third page. And it says, Individuals with military backgrounds have killed 314 people and injured 1,978 people. Another part of the graphic says 28.7. That's the number of annual average of individuals with military backgrounds who committed domestic violent extremist crimes. But I don't even know what that means, annual average of individuals with military backgrounds who committed crimes. But 28.7, I mean, I, I can find a lot of veterans that did not commit domestic violent extremist attacks. So I don't even know what this 28.7 number is supposed to mean. Well, our next guest takes serious issue with the title of the report and its contents, and we're going to hear why. Cole Lyle is a Marine Corps combat vet 
and after pushing Congress to pass an important law about service dogs for veterans, he went on to work on the Hill and at the VA, and he's now executive director of Mission Roll Call, which continues to help make veteran voices heard by lawmakers in D.C. So with that, Mr. Cole Lyle, welcome to CBSI on Vets, man. Hey, Phil, thanks for having me on. Let's just open up real quick regarding this recent House Veterans Affairs Committee report that said that uh, they determined, based on their research, that vets are more likely to be involved in domestic terror plots than other Americans. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know where to go with that. Tell yeah. me your thoughts. Well, so it's important to note in context here, and and remember, we are a nonpartisan organization, so I'm not trying to uh, paint one side or the other um, in any, th- these are just the facts, right? Uh, it wasn't the full House Veterans Affairs Committee that released this report. It was the House Veterans Affairs Committee majority staff, meaning the Democrat staff, um, re- released this t- report uh, before the midterms. Um, and the report itself didn't have any input from the Republican staff. And uh, it, it came out with some pretty incendiary quotes. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a great example. Um, quote, domestic violent extremism is predominantly a far right phenomenon, end quote. Um, the report they cite from the Center for International and Strategic uh, Studies, CICE, um, lists 57 percent. Uh, as, as quote unquote far right. So it's, it's hardly predominant, uh, number one. But then some of the definitions they use for what constitutes right wing, um, are arguably not necessarily right wing. It's, it's, um, you know, uh, they list things like people who are opposed to abortion, for example, um, as right wing, when that may in fact be a religious objection and not necessarily a political objection. So some of the, the, the the basis by which they're making these assertions that that veterans are play a quote unquote key role in divest, uh, domestic violent extremism um, is a bit of a, a a stretch. And given the context that this was kind of before the midterms um, and only published by the majority staff, it just seemed a little political to me. Um, and I think that the larger issue is that. Um, most people don't understand the difference between uh, this report coming from the House Veterans Affairs Committee because uh, news outlets said the House Veterans Affairs Committee, not majority staff on the House Veterans Affairs Committee. Um, I think it paints veterans in a unfair light when you consider uh, the data they use uh, from 1990 to 2010, saying that an average of s- almost seven individuals with military backgrounds committed uh, violent extremism crimes, uh, per year. And then the rise from, uh, the data that they used from 2015 to 21, they said there was a quote unquote sharp increase in domestic violent extremism. Um, obviously these were contentious time periods when, uh, a Republican president was, uh, then campaigning for office and right up until January 6th. And some of the most predominant examples that they use on uh, violent extremism are things like Timothy McVeigh, which happened in the 90s, right? Um, obviously, January 6th uh, was was a dark day in our nation's history. But when you look at the amount of people that were at the Capitol that day, over 10,000, it was a tiny percentage that had military backgrounds um, and, and a 
minority that got convicted that had military backgrounds. So I think it's it's just in context. I felt like it was too political. Um, and and I don't think it helps the cause of veterans nationally. And we also asked the question to veterans. We, we sent out this poll and 83 percent of them said that they disagree that veterans play a key role in uh, violent extremism. And a lot of them said that they didn't even feel like it was the VA's job to police violent extremism. That's something that falls under the Department of Justice. So the questions are, do veterans play a key role in this? I think the answer is no. I think the majority of answer, the majority of veterans think the answer is no. Um, but also, is it even the VA committee's job and the VA's job to police extremism? And uh, that's a more complicated question, but I, but I don't necessarily think it is. Hmm. As you'd mentioned, right wing refers to a political persuasion and it's Mm -hmm. categorically they're painting with a super broad brush here, lumping in people that are just simply on the right scale of politics. They're equating them with white supremacy and anti-government extremists to me, poorly written. And I don't like the cut of the jib, but I do want to challenge and ask, you know, when we saw some of the January 6th coverage, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Lieutenant Zip Ties down there on the floor. That guy mm-hmm. was an Air Force veteran. The clown with the uh, Viking horns. Yeah, he's a Navy veteran. Veterans involvement in groups like the Oath Keepers or other groups like the Proud Boys. I don't want to say that veterans deserve this nuanced look, but it's not lost on you that there were veterans as a part of this. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm a- not disputing that at all. Um, and, and like I said, I think January 6th was a dark day, I, but I think it certainly skews, uh, two points on this. One, I think that using that as the basis for your assertion that veterans are predominantly, uh, predisposed to, uh, extremism, particularly right wing extremism, I think it's unfair because I think that one particular event um, skews the data, number one. Um, number two, I think that veterans get a lot of uh, press play on this because, as you as you know, for sure, um, over the last 20 years of Iraq and Afghanistan, conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan, the only thing that the American public knows about veterans is what they see in the news and what they see out of Hollywood. And with 80% of veterans having an immediate family member that served and less than 1% serving on active duty every year, um, military service is becoming a family business. And the American public largely doesn't have uh, a lot of touch points into this community. And so it, it becomes a uh, something that gets a lot of attention when something like this happens. And, and frankly, every time there's um, a, a shooting by somebody left wing, right wing, whatever, I, I sit there and I pray, please don't be a veteran, because it just plays into this narrative that veterans are on a hair trigger, um, and, and most of Americans think of veterans as either, you know, special operations, door kickers, the lone survivor types, or um, or broken, dysfunctional, on a hair trigger. And I just don't think that highlighting this stuff and painting the veteran community with a, bro- a broad brush, as you pointed out, is helpful, especially when you consider that the committee's work is to help the veteran community broadly. And if they focus on that, like the, the main takeaway from this report was that peer support, um, including support from other veterans, military families, VSOs, uh, is vital to countering the threat of domestic violent extremism. I agree, but I think the solution 
um, is for the committee and VSOs broadly to focus on their job of like what we do, increasing peer support and increasing the quality of life for veterans so they don't feel isolated from their communities. I, I just think it's it doesn't help it at all. And um, based on our poll and based on the conversations I've had with veterans, um, they disagree. Mm. So if anything, this report just comes across seriously tone deaf. And you think it doesn't represent, you know, the full spectrum of the veterans in the country. Um, when you're looking at a VA that only engages with 50% of the 18.2 million veterans in the United States, and they're already fighting negative perceptions of, you know, their ability to provide health care and, and benefits in a timely manner, focus on solutions to that. I just don't understand what their goal and purpose was, what the benefit was of coming out with a report that was so incendiary. Um, and again, I think it it harms the broader perspective uh, that the American public has on veterans doing something like this rather than focusing on your jobs. And I'll just note once again, right, um, the committee named three organizations, Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, uh, Three Percenters, to highlight uh, domestic violent extremism and veterans' predilection to getting involved in, in those groups. Uh, obviously, those are labeled as, as right-wing organizations, but the committee didn't actually, or the majority staff on the committee, didn't highlight uh, any sort of uh, of left-wing organizations or organizations that, like Antifa, obviously tried to recruit veterans uh, in, in 2020. And so the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of mention of organizations that weren't quote-unquote right-wing in this report, it just seemed too political to me as a report to be taken seriously. I just don't understand what their what their end game was with this, uh, especially before the midterms. I, you know, I agree with you, man. I agree, I agree with you. Uh, always glad to hear that you are in there. You got your sleeves rolled up and you're in there trying to keep the members of Congress, hold their feet to the fire and make sure that everything they say and do is to support the military veterans yeah. that these committees are, uh, you know, by definition meant to serve. So with yeah. that, any final thoughts, my brother? Um, I would just say anybody that's listening that uh, agrees with me or disagrees with me, we want to hear from everybody at Mission Roll Call, whether you are right, left, um, moderate. Like if you signed on the dotted line, raised your right hand, you earned the right to have your voice heard uh, to Congress, to VA. So go to missionrollcall.org. Um, and if you disagree with this poll or previous polls that we did, um, respond to future polls and make your your voice heard. And uh, we don't have uh, a dog in this fight. We just give your uh, thoughts and opinions as a community straight to these uh, straight to these policymakers. So go to missionrollcall.org, sign up and uh, and make your voice heard. Right on. Well, I appreciate it. Executive Director and Marine through and through Cole Lyle, Mission Roll Call. Yeah. Doing good work down there, man. Keep it up and uh, stay at their feet, man. All right, Phil. Thanks for having me on. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Phil Briggs with ConnectingVets.com and a proud Navy veteran. 
Now, that's relevant to this next story because it highlights one of my favorite parts about having served in the military, the rivalry we have with our fellow service members. The jokes, the inappropriate comments, heck, it starts once you finish boot camp, and it stays with you pretty much your whole life. Now, for 123 years, think about that, 123 years, the Army-Navy football game has been going down. I recently caught up with Rich DeMarco, who's been the radio announcer for the Army football team for years, and we talked about this year's game. How are you, bud? I'm great. Great to be with you and excited, so excited for this game. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You and I have met up there a couple different times. Um, It is an incredible occasion. It is one of the most unique game in sports. And I think that that's maybe where we should start looking at our analysis of this game. What do you think about it? What is what this means to sports? Because it's more than just guys on the field. You know, it's interesting because you know, there's obviously the the X's nose and, and wanting to win a game to win the game. There's the there's the rivalry, you know, between the academies, of course, and then, you know, carrying on with those playing on the field, you know, when they are in the you know, United States Navy, the United States Army, having that that those those bragging rights. But I really, you know, it, it extends so much further than that. You know, the fans, obviously the fans around the world. And and I think one thing I would say to just a sports fan is, and, and I've really come to believe this so much over the years is, you know, you look at the great rivalry games, right? Whether it's Auburn, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, when you're like, if I went to one of those games, right? If I went to Alabama, Auburn, I just want to see a great game, great experience. I really wouldn't matter to me which team won, right? Where I think when you Talk about Army and Navy. I think every single person has a connection to one of the, if not academies, the the branches of service, right? Everyone, you know, whether it's a grandfather, an uncle, a parent, sister and brother, someone they went to high school with, where they're going to be thinking of that person when they're at the game and being like, you know what, I'd I'd like to see Army win for that reason. I'd like to see Navy win. So I kind of say is I don't know if there's a college football game where a higher percentage of the fans that are there or fans that are watching are actually rooting for one of the two teams than Army and Navy. Yeah, yeah, so much bigger than the players in the field. Very cool. Do you have any favorite historical anecdotes? I know there's been a lot of back and forth. I mean, going all the way back to like the 1800s with these guys. And man, they have given each other some crap over the years and done some pretty amazingly cruel things to each other. Let's talk about some of the pranks. Do you, do you have a favorite prank? I'll tell you some of the story. I'll tell you what I love. I love hearing. I think um, ESPN uh, game day did it a couple of years ago. Tom Rinaldi did a story of the really the covert operations that go into some of these things. I know there was what some decades ago that a, that a mascot, a, a, a goat was, you know, stolen, was taken and then, and then brought back. And the, the high level of intelligence and planning and logistics that go into these kind of things. So you think of, and when you think of pranks, Hey, right. A couple of days ago, there were a bunch of ping pong balls and flyers, you know, that were dropped on the West point, you know, installation. Some actually ended up on my car that said, you know, beat army. And those, those are, those are you know, great. They're, they're well thought out and everything, and they're all in good fun. But I just think some of the, like, some of the, like, actual, like, planning and intelligence. I mean, there was this, you know, there was a there was a prank a couple of years ago where, you know, some Army West Point cadets went down and, and took the goat. And what they had done was early in the football season, they had taken a weekend pass from West Point. They addressed as Navy fans, and they went to a Navy football game and was cheering for Navy. And then they were able to see where the, 
goats are kind of taken and everything. And that was used for later <laughs> intelligence. So it's just the level of the level of planning and intelligence. Like it goes way past something done on a whim or, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a prank of opportunity. Right. It, it, it's really the it, it amazes me. And it's uh, it just shows, though, it, it shows how, you know, you get older, you have rank in the military, you know, and you're you you have a great career. You're still thinking of these things. You're still a you're still a kid at heart. You're still a fan at heart. And and there's so many so many layers to this thing. And that's that's again one of the things that I, that I think makes this so special. <laughs> there's nothing better than the stories about students trying to steal the Navy's goat and the Army's donkey. Or yes, yeah, mule. Uh, yeah. And I'm not even quite sure why we still have the dang goat, but don't talk any shame about Bill. Bill is Bill is a legend. Bill the goat, U.S. Naval Academy. Why? What a goat has to do with a ship? I was on a ship and I never saw a goat once. Um, all right, let's talk about my other favorite thing. Uh, the uniforms, man, I love what they do every year with these nods to some element of Navy and Army's history. Let's talk Army first. What do you like about their fashion sense? What's going on with those unis? I like the story behind them, right? You know, and you and you think about the first armored division, tanks, and you know, um, really highlighting, you know, an operation during World War II. Now, to help understand just how important the U.S. Army's first armored division is, I got to share the amazing video that was produced by the Army West Point athletic team. Though on radio and podcasts, we can't see the Army football player decked out in this killer green, gold, and tan uniform. We can hear, through the narration and the archived news footage, that this division, this history, is something we should remember in December every year. Today we continue our story. It begins with a conference in Washington, where secret plans are made for a large-scale invasion of North Africa. In December 1941, just two weeks after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Roosevelt and Prime Minister Winston Churchill met in Washington, D.C. to coordinate the entry of America's armed forces into the Second World War. The Arcadia Conference established the strategic framework for the next year of the war to include the decision to initiate planning for Operation Torch in North Africa. Under these same conditions, this team again displays the great fighting spirit and capabilities for which old Ironsides has long been famous. On November 8, 1942, the Allies commenced Operation Torch with the largest amphibious assault in history up to that point in time. With landings near the cities of Casablanca, Oran, and Algiers, and forced the capitulation of French Vichy forces within days. After gaining these critical footholds, Allied forces quickly initiated operations into Tunisia. Soldiers of the 1st Armored Division would enter the crucible of combat over the next six months in numerous battles against Axis forces. The Iron Soldiers of the old Ironsides Division would employ crucial lessons learned to repulse the Axis operations at El Gatar, enabling Allied forces to drive Axis forces from North Africa. We have victory. A bright gleam has caught the helmets of our soldiers and warmed and cheered all our hearts. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning. 
but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. While those words rang true for the Allied powers, for their enemies, it was the beginning of the end. This year marks the 80th anniversary of Operation Torch and the commencement of operations against Axis forces in the European theater. The lessons that the 1st Armored Division and the United States Army learned in North Africa would propel them for subsequent operations in Italy and Western Europe. On December 10th, we honor the Iron Soldiers of the 1st Armored Division and their storied legacy that have long made old iron sights famous. Go Army! Beat Navy! Not to be outdone, but the Navy has again created some visually stunning uniforms. And this year it's a tribute to NASA and the quest for outer space. Ignition sequence start. As kids, we look to the stars and dream of the unknown. Roger, we copy. Those dreams forge astronauts who push the boundaries of humanity. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. From the sea to the stars, this is how we honor them. Some fun facts about the Navy and NASA's connection. Alan Shepard, a 1944 graduate of the Naval Academy, was the first American in space in 1961, and he also landed on the moon as part of the Apollo 14 crew in 1971. A fellow graduate, Bruce McCandless, was the first astronaut to go on an untethered spacewalk in 1985. And to honor all that, the Navy's helmet will feature handcrafted paintings of McCandless's spacewalk, with the astronaut floating in space and the Earth off in the distant background, and the other side will feature the NASA logo. This is always an incredible game to watch, and the production pieces that they do before, during, and after the game are always, always really a great tribute to our service members and veterans. And uh, if you want to watch the 123rd Army-Navy football game, it's being played Saturday, December 10th, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. From Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, and the game will be broadcast nationwide on CBS. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye on Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. 
Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 